Have kids, they said. It will be fun, they said. Who the heck are they anyway? As moms, we sacrifice a lot for our families, our time, our health, our wallets, our identity, friendships, personal care, and of course, our beloved sleep. Motherhood is a crazy ride, one that is not meant to be braved alone. It takes a village, right? Well, your village is here. I'm your host, Sabrina Greer, and every week I'll be diving into the gray areas of motherhood with some very special guests. This is not the highlight reel, but the real deal. So reheat that cup of coffee, turn up the volume, and get ready for the reminder that you've got this, mama. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to You've Got This Mama, the podcast, and I am super excited about today's episode. We have a very special guest that I've been trying to get on the show for a while. (laughs) Today, we have Kim Vopney, also known as the Vagina Coach. Hi, Kim. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. It's been a while that we've been chatting back and forth, and I'm so excited that it's finally happened. Thank you. Yeah, let me introduce you formally and then we'll dive right in. So Kim Vopney is a mom of two, a personal trainer and owner of Bellies Inc. and Vagina Coach. She's the author of Prepare to Push, Your Pelvic Floor, The Inside Story, and Pregnancy Fitness, published by Human Kinetics. She is also a speaker and a women's health educator who passionately talks the taboo. Yes, she does. <laughs> she is a busy online coaching practice and also a DIY pelvic floor fitness programs for women in pregnancy and beyond. So amazing. So, okay. Where do we begin? First of all, tell me how you got in to this business. Yeah. It's definitely not something you necessarily grow up thinking I'm going to become that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it was sort of accidentally on purpose. I, uh, I remember growing up and having this fear fascination about childbirth and I, I had seen a childbirth video in, I think it was my sixth grade sex ed or something like that. And then after that, I, I felt like, oh my God, how do women do that? And I started asking my mom questions. Obviously I knew she had done that. And she, my mom was very open. Um, so maybe that's where I inherited my openness, but she, uh, she told me about her births, which she had episiotomies. She had um, struggles afterwards. So she always had back pain. She had a tummy she didn't like. She ended up stopping running because she was having incontinence, which she eventually had surgery for. And so I had this picture of, what pregnancy did to the body that wasn't necessarily aligned with what my priorities in life. I, I'm very active. I was in sports. I definitely wanted to continue with that. So, uh, so I kind of grew up saying, okay, I'm just not having children. And then I got married and, you know, started thinking like, maybe I do want to have a family. I watched my sister-in-law give birth and she used midwives and that sort of opened up a new perspective for me on what, what birth really should be like, as opposed to what I saw in that video and what I saw through the media. And so, I decided I did want to have a baby, start a family. And the following year I was pregnant and my, I used midwives as well. And I remember asking them about what I could do. You know, my sister-in-law had done perineal massage and uh, I found that beneficial. So I was asking about that. And my midwives told me about a product that I, uh, it was called the Epino and it was a, a biofeedback device for birth training and pelvic floor training basically. And so I used that product and I had a really good experience. And of course I credit, um, I was prepared physically. I used midwives. I, I place, there's lots of things that played into my birth experience, but I feel like this product did as well. And I wanted more women to know about it. So I contacted the company and said, Hey, can I be a distributor? And it was just supposed to be kind of like this side gig. 
And so I became a distributor and I did that on the side for a little while. And then in 2009, I was laid off from my job. And I remember a few months before that happened, I was thinking, I wonder if there's a way I could be at home more with my kids. My husband's a pilot, so he was away a lot. I was working full time. My kids were in daycare full time. And so I thought maybe I could turn this Epino thing into a business. And then three months later, I got laid off. So I said, okay, I guess I'm doing it now. And, um, and that's kind of how it started. So I started selling this product and networking through midwives, um, through other anybody who was talking about pelvic floor, which at the time really wasn't that many people. But I did then learn about pelvic floor physiotherapists because they were referring to me and I had never heard of pelvic floor physio. And so they kind of became a referral source. I started to learn from them. I ended up recertifying the fitness certifications that I had done kind of in a previous life and focused on pre postnatal. And uh, that's when I created prepare to push and it just sort of has evolved from there. So really that's where I started was in a pregnancy perspective and looking at how we could prevent and, and educate. And then the vagina coach piece came a few years ago. I was presenting to a group of women entrepreneurs. I belong to an organization called mompreneur. And my talk was, how optimizing your pelvic floor can make you a better mompreneur. And so it was my turn on stage. And to that point, most of the coaches were, you know, marketing, business strategy, finance, whatever they were. Uh, and then I came up on stage and, and I said, well, now you have a vagina coach in your business. And, <laughs> and it just sort of fell out of my mouth, but it, it, it was like this light bulb moment that said that sums up what I do. Cause I had evolved from just focusing on pregnancy to really covering the main life stages. And that sort of summed up that I work with women, with people with vaginas and, and that's how it all happened. So that's kind of a short, long story, but. <laughs> so amazing though. I think it's, it's so needed and I love your approach because it's so raw and approachable, right? Like nobody feels uncomfortable coming to you to talk about it. And I love how you said, you know, you talk the taboo but really, you know, it's not taboo. It's things that we all deal with, you know, and I love being able, I love hearing women sort of open up about their postpartum experiences, their pregnancy experiences. And I think it's just so important, the work that you're doing. So amazing. Good on you. Yeah, um, it's been, um, it's been a bit of a, I mean, things are talked about a lot more openly now in the last few years and social media has definitely played a role in that early on. It was, it was kind of like talking to crickets. Instagram wasn't around. Facebook was still very personal. So Twitter was kind of the only thing we were using and, um, and things have definitely evolved from there, but it is, it is, uh, a typically historically, a topic of shame and embarrassment and it's difficult and really I'm trying to normalize it and make, make it fun and make it approachable and not clinical. That was really early on. Uh, I mean, like when I started my event, um, Kegels and Cocktails, it was meant to be, we're talking about some personal intimate stuff, but it doesn't have to be icky and uncomfortable and, and let's have some fun around it while we're being educated. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like there is, or there was maybe so much like fear mongering around what our bodies are capable of and, you know, not to ever diss the medical system or, you know, traditional childbirth. I had midwives as well and a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, you know, as natural as I could do my, the births of my children. Um, but you know, there's so many interventions and like go to, okay, we're just going to snip here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And 
yeah, I just, I, I love that there's options now and that we can talk openly about the options. You know, it doesn't have to be drugs and interventions and fear, fear, fear. It's a lot of fear-based stuff, right? Because our bodies are designed to do this. They are. Like historically, it's been happening forever, you know, in other cultures. It, it's not even a big deal. It's like, oh, oop, had a baby, right? So it's, our bodies are built for it. It's just, we live in a society and a culture where it's, it's so fear-based and, you know, everyone hears the, the horror side of it where, you know, it's the worst pain you'll ever go through. It's like crushing pain of 40 breaking bones. And, you know, these are the stories that are played over in our head, like that video that you watched, right? It, it left such an imprint that you were like, no, I'm not going to have children. So I yeah. think that's a big piece of it. So the fact that you're normalizing the other side of it, they're like, no, you can do this and you can your body's made for it. And here's some tools to help you do it effectively. I just, yeah, I yeah. It. really, it's all about being informed at the end of the day. And, and I think that there's just been a lack of information and the, the rise in social media, again, has definitely played a role in helping get the information out there. There's still a lot of fear that can come with that information. Uh, so it's about, um, it's just, it, it's trying to bring awareness kind of discuss what might be common versus normal and giving women the tools. And then at that point, really um, in birth, the term informed choice is used a lot. And I use that really throughout life. So it, with exercise, with movement, you have the information or when you have the information, you can then make choices that suit your body based on the information and based on what you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. That was a big thing in all of my experiences in life, I used to just, like suffer with anxiety when I started to understand what anxiety actually was and what my triggers were and what everything, what I was able to sort of like dull that and, you know, feel it, feel into it, approach it and informed say, no, no, thank you. That's not here for me right now. And it was the same with my, with my delivery. So I had a natural birth, like no drugs, no interventions with my, my second child. And, you know, it was because I read books, it was like, okay, my body is capable of this. This is what I can do to help the process. This is what I do need, what I don't need. And it was all about information, arming ourselves, you know, knowledge is power. Absolutely. And knowing what you can do and what you're capable of is it's so empowering. So I love that, you, like you said, you make it really fun, you make it really approachable, you know, great information. I was looking through your Instagram page, which is awesome, by the way, um, a couple of days ago. And I just love how it's like poop, <laughs> incontinence, uh, you know, just so good. It's so good because we need to start these discussions. And, you know, we, we talk so openly about like, what's going on with our children. Like, Oh, I had a diaper explosion and like poo this, poo that. But like, we don't, we still feel that shame and embarrassment when it comes to our own bodies and what's happening. And I, I love the normalization of that because so many moms, I, I deal with only moms. I talk to moms, hundreds of moms every week. Yeah. And you know, that's a lot of the problems are postpartum, you know, incontinence, yeah. um, my body hasn't healed. My body hasn't bounced back. I feel this way. I feel that way. And I don't know why. And I, I, you know, it's, it breaks my heart because I think it's just so important to get the right information and know that you're not alone, right? Think, sitting there thinking that you're the only person on the planet experiencing this discomfort or pain or 
embarrassing scenario, right? That's, that's just heartbreaking. So, yeah. 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 So thank you for the work that you do. So typically what kind of women do you work with? I know you mentioned like, you know, a lot of pregnancy and now more postpartum, but I also saw on one of your pages, like all the way to menopause. Like, so do you work with all women at all stages? Yeah. Most, I would say the most common age bracket, if I was to pick an age bracket, so to speak, it's kind of that, um, that, I don't want to say mid motherhood, but they've, they've typically had babies usually in the somewhere between five and 10 year old range. So that's usually the most common. Um, there are people I work with in pregnancy. There are people actually it's becoming a bit more common now to have people, people closer to menopause. I think it's been a bit of a transition for me too, because I still somewhat am associated more with the prenatal postpartum. And mm-hmm. while postpartum is really, once you've had a baby, you're always postpartum, but people still feel like I'm kind of in that, that early motherhood stage and I don't work with other women, but really um, I work with anybody. I work with anybody who has a vagina, who is, has female anatomy and is, they don't even have to be struggling with pelvic floor challenges. It could be just that they want to be proactive. So I've always come from a place of prevention, a preventive mindset. What can I be doing so that these don't become big issues down the road? And so I always kind of instill that. And it's, it's a bit of a hard battle in a way because people are motivated to get out of pain or to change something that is, is bothering them or interfering with their life. But if they don't have a symptom of bother or pain or discomfort, then it can be kind of like, well, but I'm, but I'm fine. I don't, I don't think I really need that. So it is a bit of a struggle from my perspective, wanting to get the information and wanting to empower women to, <clears throat> pardon me, take control, even if they don't have any symptoms. I have a, a friend right now who has become a client. She knows, I've known her for years. She knows what I do. And she always felt like, well, but, but I don't have any of these symptoms, so I'm, but, so I'm fine. And then recently she was participating in a fitness program and she moved a certain way that hurt her back. And then that just kind of started a, a bit of a cascade and she has now got a, a prolapse, which mm. I'm not saying that exercise program can, caused it, but lots of little things along the way. So I'm not going to go into her whole past, but lots of little things kind of led up to the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And so now she's kind of like, okay, and she's in a position to be able to change and potentially reverse what she's dealing with. And she feels grateful that she has the information. But many people, when they don't know, their first line of defense is to go to their doctor, which the medical community 100% plays a role in managing pelvic floor health. But in my opinion, they, they don't necessarily need to be the first line of defense or the only. And, and what I would love is for them to, the medical community to refer to pelvic floor physio, because I really believe there's a more thorough assessment that takes place and women walk away with more tools when they're outside of the, you know, the quick seven minute appointments that we get with our, with our physicians. So, um, yeah, so I think really it's, it is any woman, I will work with women at any stage. The most common is kind of that early motherhood where now most of those women are on social media. They've been on social media for a while. So they see those messages where sometimes the older women aren't necessarily as active, so may not be seeing as many messages about pelvic health being shared. Yeah. And, um, and now they're kind of 
becoming empowered to say, okay, I realize now this is not normal what I'm dealing with. I need help and I'm going to do it now before it becomes a bigger issue. Yeah. Well, I think I'm really glad you brought that up because honestly, I would have thought the same thing. Like you deal with people postpartum or, you know, pre-pregnancy, you know, preparing by doing Kegels and like preparing for childbirth and then postpartum, you know, getting the body back or whatever the expression is. I wouldn't think when you said ages five to 10 year old children, you know, I, I fall into that range too. And I'm of the same mindset as your, of your friend who's like, well, I don't have any symptoms and I'm fine and everything's great. So what are some of the potential down the road problems that you help prepare for? Like what are the, maybe the five most common ones just yeah, so sure. we know what to, what to prepare for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, the biggest one I would say the most common and, and the most easily talked about if somebody is going to talk about it is leaking when they laugh. So that's called stress urinary incontinence, which means you are exerting a force that your muscles don't have the capacity to manage. So the sphincters don't get closed and you le leak urine. Sometimes you can leak feces as well, which is more rare, but it, it can happen. So incontinence, um, stress urinary incontinence would be the most common. Urge incontinence is also a piece where you feel like, you know, you're fine. And then all of a sudden you've got to go to the bathroom so urgently and you feel like you're not going to make it there on time. That would be, so they couple into incontinence. Uh, the next one would be prolapse. And if you look at statistics, statistics say um, over 50% of women, so kind of like you know, if you have two women there, one of them will have a prolapse. So 50% of women have some degree of prolapse. And if you look at the statistics for incontinence, it's more like one in three. So prolapse is generally speaking, the more common one, if you look statistically again, but it's incontinence is considered to be the most common because so many more people deal with it. I do think they're probably very similar actually, in terms of their, the numbers, not statistics are on reported cases and there's a lot of people that don't report especially incontinence they'll usually suffer a lot longer whereas prolapse it, it's quite scary and people will usually go get help right away because they don't necessarily know what it is or if they feel a bulge or see a, see a bulge through their vagina they're thinking oh my gosh do i have a tumor do i have you know they, they'll go get it checked out sooner but um so pro incontinence prolapse uh, back pain is another one uh, back pain is highly, highly correlated to pelvic floor challenges. So women often have back pain and a lot of women have back pain in pregnancy and it's very closely tied to the pelvis and, uh, and people go to chiropractors or massage therapists or acupuncture to try to deal with the back pain. But oftentimes it's the pelvis that's the missing link there and back pain can be resolved by addressing the pelvic floor. Um, diastasis recti is the other big one there. So um, that one has kind of blown up on the internet and, and early on. So when I first started doing this, you know, 15 years ago, it was, uh, I started in the world of pelvic floor, but was quickly realizing the link between the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall and started looking at diastasis. And then that kind of became a thing. And early on, there wasn't a ton of research. And a lot of the practitioners who were working in that, <clears throat> pardon me, in that realm, were the the protocol became quite restrictive so 
you know, you can't do crunches, you can't do planks, you can't twist, you can't do it. Like all of a sudden people were, oh my God, I've got diastasis, I can't move anymore. <laughs> and then it created this group that all of a sudden had actually in some ways more compensations or more weakness because we had limited their movement. That's not supporting real life, especially with, with motherhood. So thankfully that's starting to broaden now, but that is definitely that there's been a lot of hysteria around diastasis and people are more open to talking about that because it's the abdominal wall. And you know that there's tons of abdominal flattening and get your belly back this and all sorts of different programs out there. So it's something that seems more socially acceptable to be pursuing or talking about than pelvic floor challenges, even though they're very closely related. So those would be the most common ones that I deal with. So if I, I don't know if you saw me giggling the whole time there because I did have diastasis um, and it sort of healed itself. So yes, I do crunches. I still do movement. I do a lot of weightlifting, but I did have that. So there's always sort of the nervousness and fear of like, if I do a crunch, is it going to split open? And you know, those kind of emotions around it. Um, but yeah, I do have back pain and I do see a chiropractor, um, mostly sciatic nerve pain, which is likely damage from from because it started during my pregnancies. Um, so it's just so interesting. Here I am all cocky saying, I don't have those symptoms, but maybe I do, right? And I think we could all benefit from having a vagina coach <laughs> or some yeah. sort of pelvic floor training. Totally. I think yeah. that, um, you know, I, that is one of my sayings. I say every woman needs a vagina coach, but <laughs> really it, we, we see a dentist every year. I always equate it to seeing a dentist. We go to see a dentist every year for a checkup even if we don't have any toothache, even if, you know, we just go and they look and they check in all of our teeth and they help clean and kind of optimize it. And, and if there is something, then they say, okay, you've got a cavity here. Let's address it now before it becomes, a, you know, a major issue. And the exact same thing can be applied to the pelvic floor. So we have no symptoms. We go for our checkup and they assess the muscles and the tone and the general genitalia, the position of the organs. And if there is something that's not working optimally, they help heal that. Um, and it, it becomes a way that we optimize our pelvic health, like we optimize our oral health for our life. And I think if we start the conversation earlier on, I'm not suggesting that teenagers necessarily need to go see a pelvic floor physio, but having those, those conversations, uh, and then definitely once they become sexually active or kind of around the university age, if they were to start incorporating that into their annual health plan, I think it would do wonders for empowerment, for movement, for birth, for ongoing pelvic floor health for women, really. Um, so knowing that some of the symptoms, incontinence has an obvious symptom. You're leaking, something's coming out of you that's not normal discharge. And okay, so that's incontinence or fecal incontinence, obviously you'd have feces coming out. Prolapse, you're going to feel uh, a bulge potentially, but not always. Early stage prolapse can be very asymptomatic. So first and second degree prolapse, nobody would know, or it might have a symptom like back pain, or it might have a symptom like, well, sometimes in some positions with sex, I feel like something kind of gets hit um, or tampon. Like there's lots of little things that you kind of don't necessarily associate because nobody has told you about it. And once you know, then you can kind of go, huh, or even if you don't, even if you don't have a symptom, again, if you just have your check-in and it's different from a pap. So people say, well, if I get a pap, that must be enough. But what happens with a pap is the, first of all, it's usually quite quick and the, the speculum is inserted. And when it 
you know, you crank it and it kind of opens up. It, if there is any early stage prolapse, it can sometimes push the prolapse out of the way. So it doesn't necessarily give an accurate representation of the landscape of the pelvis and the position of the organs. It is done lying down and ideally pelvic floor physios assess lying down and standing up because things are different. And there's no assessment for tone of the muscles or um, ability to contract and relax. And that is what happens in a, a physiotherapy appointment. So yes, you need a PAP, but you also would benefit from a physio appointment as well. Absolutely. Now, for those who maybe haven't experienced or are unaware of what a prolapse is, do you mind just giving like the quick explanation of that? Yeah. So imagine uh, we, we, our vagina is like a tube and on the front part of the tube, that would be the anterior wall of the vagina and the back would be the posterior wall of the vagina. And up on top is our cervix and our uterus. And on the closer to the front wall is our bladder. And then on the back, is the rectum. So we have bladder, uterus, rectum, the vagina is the tube. When the organs start to shift out of their optimal alignment, in the case of the uterus, the uterus can start to descend into the vagina. In the uh, back wall, so your rectum can, it doesn't actually descend into, but it can bulge into. So it creates a bulge in that posterior wall. And on the front side, the bladder does the same thing. The bladder can create a bulge into the anterior wall. In early stage, it's just a little bit of a bulge. Again, you probably don't even notice it. But as it becomes more pronounced, the bulge can come right down to the entrance or the uterus could be right at the entrance of the vagina. And in extreme cases, so it would be considered a stage four, would be when it's actually out. So it would to physically look at it, visually look at it, sorry, would be almost like you have a scrotum. So if you can imagine a woman with a scrotum, that's kind of what it would look like. So it's, um, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment around it. Um, it. It definitely affects the emotions. It affects interpersonal relationships. It can influence whether or not you are able to wear a tampon or a diva cup from menstruation perspective. So there's lots of things. It's not life-threatening, but it's life-altering for sure. And, um, but, but also very, very common, very, very common. I have a stage two rectocele. I am pretty much asymptomatic most of the time, but I have the knowledge that I have it. So I make choices about very careful about how I eat and make sure I'm not getting constipated, um, about my movement, all sorts of things on an ongoing basis. So I have it. I know I have it. I manage it with all the different things I do. And I feel like I'm in a position of power where somebody who, if all I had done was go to the doctor, I would have been on the surgical path pretty much right away, which I'm not against surgery. Surgery can be life-changing for many people. Sometimes it's needed, sometimes it's chosen. And regardless of whether you choose it or need it, it the physiotherapy really should play a role in that as well from a prehab and rehab perspective. It will optimize the outcome. And a lot of times surgery fixes symptoms, but women still don't have the information around what might have contributed to it happening in the first place. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's high likelihood that quote unquote surgeries fail because the same strategies are being used. And if we could introduce the information, especially in surgical people, it would op optimize those outcomes and potentially not have to have surgery again. Yeah. Well, just as a comparison, it's like if you, you know, 
break your leg and you have to get knee surgery, you go to physiotherapy <laughs> after to get back the muscles around that leg and to, you know, find new ways to not overcompensate with the other leg. And so it's the same, right? This is part of our body. And I, yeah. It's really, to me quite remarkable that, as you just said, if you, if you had a knee replacement or if you have shoulder injury, surgery, anything, if you, if, if you are in that category, you, you are usually put into some sort of rehab protocol with follow-up, with guidance. And when you have a baby, you have a baby and you get sent home if you have a hospital birth and you may go back at, you know, usually they say go back at six weeks and you have your six week follow-up. But now it's becoming, I'm hearing more and more that at the six week mark, there's no internal assessment either that's happening. And, and I, I really wholeheartedly disagree with that. And I think that things need to change and really when you consider all the changes that happen during pregnancy, all the adaptations, and then you have a birth vaginal or, or surgical that women are not given any sort of recovery protocol guidance, nothing. When you, if you work with a midwife, you have a lot more care. Um, but even from a midwifery perspective, there still, I believe, needs to be some education specifically around screening for pelvic floor challenges and diastasis um, that they're in the prime position to, to do. So um, yeah, women really, they're, they're kind of left to their own devices and then they have a baby to manage and the focus really becomes the baby. And there's, there's nobody looking after the mom. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Cause I, like I said, I had midwives and they were fantastic, but it was all about breastfeeding and proper positioning and sleep and baby this, and how many bowel movements is baby having? And Oh, how are you by the way? Okay, good. So moving on back to baby, right? So yeah, and it, it is. And the baby is very important. Obviously at that stage, it's a, a very, you know, sensitive time for your infant, but you need to take care of yourself too. And I'm sure, you know, right, it's like directly postpartum is an important time to start implementing some of these strategies, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you sort of alluded to it at the beginning too, where we, in our, in our society, in our culture in North America, we don't have the village. So we aren't necessarily witnessing normal physiological birth. We aren't helping and playing roles in raising young children. We are, both parents are typically working full time out of the home. Um, so there's, there's differences in our culture compared to others, but there are things we can take and embrace and learn from those other cultures. And a big one that I support is called mother roasting, which is kind of like a big umbrella that covers lots of different practices around the world in different cultures, but all center around helping the new mom rest and heal and recover. And what happens in those first 40 days is what sets them up for the next 40 years. And the philosophy is that once, when a woman is pregnant and then gives birth, the body opens. So there's lots of like the body is, the joints are becoming more supple. The abdominal wall is stretching during birth. Obviously there's an opening that's happening to allow the babe into the world. And after that, we need to kind of help and encourage the body to quote unquote close. 
So allowing the bones to, and the muscles and the ligaments and all of the stuff that creates our support structure and our center of power to close or to kind of come back together. So um, wrapping externally the pelvis and the abdominal wall, doing restorative exercise that ignites that pelvic floor contraction again and gets that circulation and muscle memory and nerve growth factor happening, warm, nourishing, collagen-rich foods that help replenish all that's been lost in pregnancy and birth. But in our society, within two to three weeks, people are back at the gym and posting their selfies and, and we're applauding that and like, oh my gosh, you look so great. You look like you never had a baby. And that's what is feeding into the, the pressures really. And, and, you know, when you think about the nine months that happen with, there's, the, the belly is on display, proudly displayed and, and, and so it should be. But then as soon as the baby is born, all of a sudden becomes a place of shame and we need to wear baggy clothing, we need to hide it, we don't want to look pregnant anymore. And it's a race to get there. And that's to the detriment of the female body, in my opinion. And so I think, again, from an information perspective, if we can start to shift the mentality to one where we're honoring that recovery process in those first you know, 40 days, in the first eight weeks postpartum, it, it will be it will be life-changing. There won't be as many of the challenges that happen that interfere with relationships that inter that make mothering harder. When you're struggling with pelvic floor challenges or chronic back pain or whatever it is, it can make mothering harder. So when you take that time to rest and build that support team for you in those early days and weeks, you have time to replenish and to rebuild and it becomes easier. So we have to kind of build our village again. Absolutely. And I, you know, I love that you mentioned that because my midwife said something that really stuck with me and it still sticks with me. And I, I tell moms every day, I repeat this because it, it resonated so deeply. And my midwife said, because I wanted to go back to the gym, you know, I was in the modeling industry for 20 years. You know, I was always, I had skewed images of what my body was supposed to look like and how I was supposed to maintain it. And, you know, all of a sudden having extra weight and extra skin and extra things was a bit shocking. So I wanted to be one of those moms who bounced back and was praised for, you know, all of a sudden being back to my model body. And, you know, she said something to me and uh, it just stuck. And she said, you have a wound inside of your body, the size of that baby like an open wound. If you had an exterior wound on your body, if you fell and like hurt yourself and you had an open sore on your body, would you be going to the gym? Would you, how would you be treating that? You'd be nursing it. You'd be bandaging it properly and dressing it properly. You would be resting. You'd be taking, you know, whatever medications you needed to, you know, you'd be putting ointments on it. You'd be doing all of those things because it's outside of your body. But when it's inside and we can't see it, you know, we kind of know it's there, but we, we don't care for it the same way. And she said, really, theoretically, it should take your body as long to heal as it took to prepare. Totally. So that's what, 10 months, really? Like 40 weeks? It's yep. a long time. So yes, exercise is important, movement, you know, fresh air, all of those things, because those are things that we, we need regardless for our, our mental health, our physical health. But to go hard and start, you know, getting back that body and working, like lifting weights and doing that stuff. Like we need to nurse that wound the way we would an, ex an exterior wound. So I thought that was really powerful. 
it's a bit challenging because when you know you're, you were talking earlier how there's lots of fear and really birth leaves the body in an injured state using the word injured or injury can be fear can be fearful for people so you, you kind of dance a bit of a line there um but really it it truly does leave an injury and we need to treat it like it's an an injury and also many women who pay attention to that restoration period and see their physiotherapist and get their pelvic floor back on track, they will often return to their chosen activities stronger. And people think, well, once you've had a baby, you're never going to be as strong. You can't run as fast. You can't lift as much. You can't do this. That's absolutely incorrect. You can return and do whatever you want. And many people, when they have done that restoration work, it's kind of the first time they've ever really focused on the pelvic floor. And so recognizing that our power comes from our core and our pelvic floor. And when we pay attention to it, it allows us to perform better in so many things. So lots of times women do actually return stronger when they take that time to reconnect and to restore and to retrain. I always say retrain before you train. You have to retrain that core synergy first and then bring it into your movement gradually. Because when you start to, when you go right from zero to 60 and start loading all of those tissues and muscles that haven't quite had time to heal and regenerate, that's when you're putting yourself at risk. Yeah. It, it sounds so logical when you just say it, right? But it's so funny how we resist and shy away from it. So I, I really thank you for the work that you're doing. Honestly, it's, it's a conversation that needs to be happening. And I think you've really started that conversation and it's amazing. So before we finish up, I just want to know, without giving away all your goods, because I know you have a ton of programs and like this is what you do for, your, for a living. Um, could you give three sort of generic tips to our listeners if you know, maybe they have never done any pelvic floor work or you know, they listened to this today and something really resonated and they're in that like five to 10 child range or maybe they are just postpartum. Like, is there something, three tips you could give to the mamas you know, to get started? in pelvic floor training. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, I would direct people to my YouTube channel because I do have free resources on there. And there is one video in particular called the core breath. And that is essentially a, a Kegel exercise that's coordinated with the breath. And it's where I start with every single person, regardless of whether they're pregnant or postpartum, or they are, you know, approaching menopause and have never had children. It's always the first place that I start. Actually, I, the first place I start is posture, and I also have a posture video that you can look at. But, but the core breath really is about connecting with the pelvic floor and understanding its relationship between um, or with the breathing diaphragm, but also as part of the core. So I would start there. And then on that note, people think that if they are leaking or if they are experiencing maybe symptoms that they think or they've maybe been told they have a prolapse or... Maybe they have sex and they don't feel it the same as they used to. They think their pelvic floor is quote unquote weak. And weakness is typically associated with like, it's soft, it's saggy, it's, it, it's just not really doing anything. But in the pelvic floor, in any part of the body, any muscle can be weak also from being too tight, too overused, holding on to too much tension. So it's important to understand what your pelvic floor needs 
and a pelvic floor physio. So my second point is see a pelvic floor physiotherapist if you have access to one in your community. I have a list on my website at vaginacoach.com. There's, if you scroll to the footer, there's a find a physio page and it's becoming increasingly North American. It was very heavily Canada because that's where I am. Um, but if you have access to one in your community, community, I highly, highly recommend that you see one annually. And that can also, if you, if you see them, they can help determine if you have maybe a pelvic floor that's holding on to more tension than it should be, or maybe one that's more lax than it should be. Some of the things that you might be able to, um, if you don't have access to one, some things that could maybe point you to understand. If you sit down and you pee, if you have a hard time starting the flow of urine, um, that can sometimes be a sign that a pelvic floor is not relaxing. Um, it could also be a sign of uh, early stage bladder prolapse. Um, if you have kind of pain in the tailbone or pain anywhere in the pelvis, sometimes that can be non-relaxing pelvic floor. If you have pain with sex, sometimes that can be. Again, this is not a global statement and I'm not diagnosing anybody, but of it's just kind of little cues and things you can be kind of saying, well, you know, I noticed this, so maybe that's what that means. Um, so sometimes lack of sensation with sex can be more the, the lacking a little bit of tone. So once you understand what your pelvic floor would benefit from, then you tailor your pelvic floor fitness to your needs. So some people need to work more on the relaxation, the letting go and kind of the release aspect, while other people need to work more on the, you know, contracting and lifting and kind of the strength or endurance piece. Um, so first would be practice the core breath, understand the anatomy and the, the, where the pelvic floor lives. Second would be seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist um, and uh, understanding kegels. And then the third would be moving in varied ways and moving with an awareness of your pelvic floor. So my philosophy, my practices, my programs all involve movement and I incorporate kegels into the movement, whether it's the relaxation, sort of the down training aspect or the up training, the contract and, and, and um, lifting aspect. Because kegels historically have been prescribed as something that you, you, know, you do while you brush your teeth or you do while you're sitting at every red light. And while that's better than nothing, it may not, first of all, you might not be sitting or standing in the right position to really take full advantage of the exercise. But also, we are dynamic people. We, especially if we have children, we're lifting children sometimes, sometimes two or three children at the same time. We might be lifting groceries or laundry baskets and we move and we need our pelvic floor to respond to those movements. And if we train in ways that brings the pelvic floor into that, then we are, it's, it's more successful, more efficient, um, more real life, I guess. Yeah. No, I think that's a great, great tips. Amazing. Thank you so much. So for our listeners that want to track you down, I have a feeling you're going to be getting a lot in your inbox for the next little while because it's so much amazing information. You mentioned a YouTube channel and your website. I know you hang out on Instagram a lot. Where's the best place to track you down and get access to your programs and everything else that you do? Yeah, socially, I definitely spend the most time on Instagram. So that's my handle there is, is vagina coach. For anybody who is in sort of the pregnancy, early motherhood phase, my um, other business is Belly Zinc, and I, my, the handle there is also Belly Zinc. 
Um, vaginacoach.com, bellyzinc.com would be the two websites. And then YouTube is Kim Bopney, the Vagina Coach. So those would probably be the best places. And um, yeah, thank you very much for having me on your, on your podcast and introducing me. I love, I'm very grateful for people that have a platform that give me an opportunity to share my message. So thank you. Absolutely. And it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. I will pop all those links in the show notes for our listeners so they can have direct access to everything that you offer. And just thank you for the work that you're doing. Honestly, it's, it's so empowering for women and moms everywhere. So thank you. Thank you very much. Hey mama, I see you. You're overwhelmed. You're feeling the weight of the invisible mother load. You're tired. I'm Sabrina Greer, and I'm a clarity coach and motivational speaker for moms. I can't even begin to tell you how many of my clients say, well, I'm just a mom, insinuating that somehow they have to stop at that. They aren't good enough, strong enough, brave enough, worthy enough for more. Maybe time is your crutch. Money, resources, help. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to pick sides. You can be an amazing mom and live the life of your dreams too. Whether it's a blog, a business, a podcast, that book you've been wanting to write, perhaps you don't even know just yet. This 12-week program will help you discover or reignite your innermost passions and give you a blueprint for stepping into your next level self without jeopardizing your family. Learn how to create and design the life of your dreams in the pockets of time we have amidst the chaos of motherhood. I'm here to tell you, you are more than just a mom. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sabrina Greer, your host, and you've been listening to You've Got This Mama, the podcast. You can follow us at YGT Mama and join the conversation on Facebook and Instagram to get more information on the stories we share here, our community, our books, or the blog. Head on over to www.ygtmama.com. You can also access the show notes there. If you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your daily listen and subscribe to the tribe. Rate and review this podcast. That helps keep us alive and we deeply value every review. I would like to thank the production team and Megan Krumpetich, our producer, for making this happen. Thank you so much to all of you for giving us your ear. We hope you tune in next week. But in the meantime, please remember, you've got this, Mama.